one. Here we go. Okay, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Figure It Out podcast with me, Chandler Collins, on a gorgeous Wednesday. It's awesome to be back on the pod this week with uh, with Skip talking college hoops. But get this, for the people, we've brought on some special guests, some Figure It Out correspondents in their own right. The football boys join me tonight, Blaine and Johnny Rowe. Uh, we're talking all things hoops in this first part. We're going to flip it over to a second segment where Blaine and Johnny and myself are going to talk a little NFL free agency. Our basketball correspondent, Skip, has a big softball game tonight, as he uh, told me. So, Skip, we'll start with you, brother. Um, overall thoughts on the weekend, how we living, how we doing? Yeah, Chan, like you said, I'm pretty stoked for the uh, softball doubleheader that we got tonight. Under yeah. the lights at eight thirty and nine thirty, uh, pretty uh, pretty funny team name that we have to say the least. We are the Improved Balls, um, so pretty uh, pretty All out right. of left field right there. So, um, yeah, man, super fun. We had our first week of it last week. We started the season off two and zero, hoping uh, that we can keep that hot streak going and end the night after tonight four and zero. Um, but yeah, man, crazy, uh, crazy weekend of college hoops. I mean, I don't think that anyone, uh, ever would have predicted a final four like this. No team above a three seed is, uh, currently in the final four. The first time that that's ever happened. Um, as it stands, we have a five seed, a nine seed, another five seed and a four seed, just absolute craziness, pure March madness. Um, some really, really good games over the weekend. And I think that, uh, these final four matchups are going to be really good as well. So very excited to, uh, see what ends up happening. Yeah, man. Some, uh, some good stories come to a close, uh, real quick. I got to touch on the cats. Uh, what a season for them. Awesome to see my dad super happy. And, uh, he was really bought in here to the tournament. He's not the biggest basketball guy, but you can tell that he really, really loves that damn university, and it was cool to see his uh, his pride throughout the tournament. But they come up short against Florida Atlantic, and I got to say, unfortunately, Dad, I've been on the Owls since February. I know. I'm not going to sit here and say that I thought they were going to the Final Four. I'm not saying that. But I said that this team, Skip can be my vouch here, and all the other listeners out there on the uh, college basketball show, I said, look out for this Owls team in Conference USA. They ended the year 31-3, and and they end up in the Final Four. Sometimes you're just a really good team, and you happen to play in a shitty conference. It just happens. And they're on the, one of the most improbable runs. Really cool, cool story. South Florida, huge, uh, huge year for them. Miami and Florida Atlantic, both in the Final Four. It's unbelievable. Miami went on an unreal run. But let's hear from uh, Blaine and Johnny here. We'll start with Blaine. Get the kid razzed up here. Blaine, what are your thoughts on the overall tournament? Great to have you back on the show, buddy. Can't wait to talk about football here in a bit with you. But we're yeah. on Hooch right now, brother. Yeah. Living. Hooch, um, who's in first place in the Figure It Out podcast tournament challenge? Do you have any idea? That's a great segue here to veer off of, this, of how we're talking to Blaine. But Blaine is currently in first place of the Figure It Out Pod Bracket Challenge. However, he is screwed if UConn wins. Correct. There are people hovering around Blaine, Blaine's champion. I believe Houston, correct me if I'm wrong. Yep, Houston. 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 So. Out. 
but he's still in first place. UConn wins. They're going to jump him for sure. But he is technically, as we're recording this podcast, in first place. Floor is yours again. Sorry. Yeah, no, I'm a Hurricane fan this week or this weekend. And man, that's, that's just a lot of fun to get back behind the mic. We'll talk football later. Skip, you, you guys have done a great job. I give my credits to first place in the Figured Out podcast to the Figured Out podcast in its own. That's where I learned all my shit. So great job, guys. <laughs> I love it. So your overall thoughts on the tournament, you've you've watched a ton of games. I know you have. You've, you bought into some teams, too, I feel like, kind of along the way, maybe. Yeah, my overall – I mean, I was weak on the Big 12 before the tournament. I think yeah, that's why I've were. had a lot of success in the tournament challenge, and it's kind of proven they've been under – they've underplayed. ACC played better. Mountain West played better. Big East played better. A lot of these big-name conferences have – outshine uh really outside of texas k-state have, have outshined some of the big names so it's cool to see like the cusa with a with a bid and and some of these some of these conferences really shine and instead of the powerhouse that we saw last year with all the blue bloods is has been one of the most fun i've ever had watching the ncaa tournament yeah and johnny on your side you were kind of in skip's boat here with two big name fandoms um johnny roe being a big ku fan johnny i think you were on the show last year maybe for a college basketball episode we talked about you being a ku fan but um for the for a good reminder um skip being a duke fan both teams with early exits uh really tough tough loss for the jayhawks in the round of 32 honestly it was a really damn good game and um arkansas had won the national championship i thought and then they turned around and got their ass kicked the next round so um, a bit of an unfortunate break for the Jayhawks, but Johnny, your thoughts on the tournament? Have you been able to enjoy it the same outside without KU, or has it been a kind of a glooming shadow? Also, welcome back. Love to love to see you, brother. Hey, what's up, guys? No, I'm so I'm so pumped to be back here. It's almost like I had some pre-show butterflies. It's been a month or whatever since we did our last football show, so yeah. I'm pumped to be on here. A lot of thoughts on the tournament. I did a uh, what I call a chess move, and I scheduled my wisdom teeth removal on the opening weekend of March Madness. So I had doctor prescribed hoops that I had to consume. And so yeah. this is perfect for us right here to do something like this. So let's talk about Kansas first. An unfortunate exit for Kansas. Look, they they had a horrible draw. Blaine was uh, talking about this in the uh, in our group text. And he, and he was right, you know, to draw Arkansas, who was a preseason top, top 10 team, was a tough draw for Kansas. I thought that they were going to be able to do it. What I didn't foresee was that their Hall of Fame and best and best head coach in all of college basketball wouldn't be there. Look, uh, Kansas still could have scored more points in their team. They, they didn't play very well, but if they would have had Bill Self on the sideline over there, I think their offense would have been a lot less stagnant uh, than it was. They couldn't really get any looks. They couldn't get any of their alley-oop lob action that they usually get with Bill Self. And they really turned into a jump-shooting team, which outside of Grady Dick, this was not a very good jump-shooting team uh, for Kansas. So th uh, they got what they deserved. They lost to a better team that day, and it was unfortunate uh, that that happened. I've loved the tournament the rest of the way, though. I wanted to talk a little bit about the local teams real quickly. Uh, I'm not shit talking Mizzou here. My father-in-law is a Mizzou graduate and it's, and, and it, these were his words and, and they make complete sense. It is so typical of Mizzou sports to get through the first round, seven, 10, avoid the two seed Arizona and then fucking lose to the 15 seed. That, that is just like such a Mizzou thing to do. That's not yeah. me shit talking. That's just like what happens there. And so on a plus side for them, I think they're going in the right direction. They're going to recruit the fan base is excited, you know, of course, after an, uh, an upsetting exit there. 
they're going in the right direction with Coach Gates. So I think Mizzou is on the right track. And then as far as K-State is concerned, what a dream run they had. Of course, I think Tang's the right guy there. Where they got into some trouble uh, uh, in that exit there, they they relied too much on like the dramatic flair, the 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 get the rebound, dribble down, and huck up just a random ass three without running any sort of an offense. If you would have watched up. that that can that K State game, they went like twenty straight possessions without running any sort of action. There were no ball screen actions. They would just come down. Noel would massage the ball for. 21 seconds and then huck up a three and they were just going in they stopped yeah. going in after a while and then when you have him who's like five seven or five eight like in a tall pair of shoes driving the rim that that's where you kind of get into some trouble there and there was a pretty tough drive that he had there with about 30 seconds left that kind of like left you wanting a lot more so i think kansas state's going in the right de- direction i think mizzou is going in the right direction kansas is kansas they have a big recruiting class coming in they've already lost some guys to the transfer portal and here's where i'll wrap up my thoughts with this nil has been huge for college basketball this year. Look at Miami, for example, okay? Miami and Jim Laranega, who is just an awesome guy, by the way. I mean, first time in the Final Four since he took George Mason there on that dream run. But with Miami here, he realized that he has a very enticing product. Miami, Florida, hundreds of thousands of dollars, and college basketball players. It might hurt Chandler, but they paid 800 grand for the rights to Nigel Pack. Yeah, and Nigel Pack is down there, and he put he was seven of ten from three against Houston. Yeah. I mean, that's worth every dollar that they've given Nigel Pack. And here they are in the final four. Um, I'm really pulling for them, frankly, because I, I like Larinaga. And uh, it's funny how you compare like these schools. I'm talking about NIL, and you have San Diego, California, Miami, Florida, Boca Raton, Florida, and then you have like Yukon, which is in like the middle of nowhere, Connecticut. And I think it's like snowing there 300 days out of the year. So stores, um, Connecticut. Yeah. So stores. stores, stores, Connecticut. But man, Hurley's an awesome coach. So that was a long way. It's been a while since I've been able to word vomit onto this podcast. So there you go, guys. Great tournament so far and great content from both of you. Hey, bring it on, brother. Let's talk about how these teams got to the final four. Um, we'll start with UConn, who seems to be the outright Final Four favorite, and I think rightfully so. Um, they absolutely thrash, I think is the way uh, Skip said it before the pod. They thrashed Gonzaga 82-54. to 54. Um, It was kind of unfortunate because I was kind of expecting that to be a really good game, and I was actually playing pool at, uh, at a bar down here with one of my buddies uh, that I work with, and we were like hoping that it was going to be a sick game to like hang out and watch, and it sucked. Um, because UConn absolutely dominant. They're playing at an unreal level right now, Skip. Um, we've talked about him all year. Adama, Sonogo, he's awesome. Um, I actually listened to Bobby Hurley, or excuse me, uh, Danny Hurley on, pardon my take, a competing podcast, but um, nonetheless. And he was like talking about how Adama Sonogo has a chance to like cement himself as one of UConn's greatest. Um, if, if, he, if he can, he already has the Final Four under his belt. Um, first team list i mean guys like a mecca okafor went to uconn and to even be on that list if he could win a natty i think that's huge i think that they outright favorite skip what did you see from the huskies so first off guys i loved every single second of all of your guys' segments that was awesome you guys sound just phenomenal uh you clearly know what you're talking about just sports fanatics i mean i feel like i'm in the presence of greatness right now so 
very honored to be on this podcast right now. You guys are great. Um, but yeah, fan, I think that I don't think that anyone saw UConn coming out and beating Gonzaga by 28 points. I mean, Gonzaga coming off a huge win against UCLA, who um, a lot of people probably thought UCLA was going to go all the way to the national championship with the way that they were playing. So um, Gonzaga gets that win. You're thinking Gonzaga's kind of figured it out. You know, Drew Timmy coming off, what do you have, a 36-point game against UCLA. Yeah. Um, we talk about it a lot, Chan, in the, uh, in the tournament. A lot of it is about momentum. And um, UConn just absolutely, from the jump, dominated that game. I mean, that game was never close. Uh, they had complete control from the moment that the ball was tipped off. Um, Sonogo, man, he is just a dog. He looks like an absolute football player out there. Mm-hmm. I would absolutely hate to go up against that guy on the offensive and defensive rebound or uh, offensive and defensive end of the floor. Excuse me. Um, I mean, I would just I would hate to have to block that guy out. Uh, could you imagine him coming at you full speed for an offensive rebound? No. I mean, he... just unbelievable. Yeah. And uh, so UConn playing really, really well right now. Um we really didn't talk about UConn a lot this year, Chan. Uh, oh. I feel like Dave, we kind of overlooked them in the Big East. Um, and they're just playing their best basketball right now. I mean, their last couple games, look at them. They beat Arkansas 88-65, to so they beat them by 23. And then they come out and repeat that uh, exact same thing against Gonzaga and beat them by 28. I mean, that's got to be, you guys, with your all of your sports knowledge, you might know this. That has got to be one of Gonzaga's largest margins of victory in their history, Large, right? M- margin of defeat, you mean? Yeah, yeah, margin yeah, of defeat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. I yeah, mean, that's got to be. Like, that's got to be. 28 especially points. Especially in the tournament. Especially in the tournament. Yes, absolutely. And, um, I mean, for them, their first couple of games in the first round, Gonzaga scores 80, 82 points. Then uh, they score 84 points followed by 79, and then they only scored 54 against UConn. So UConn just really turned up the defense, had a lot of energy. They just played together. They uh, they play as a cohesive unit, and you mm-hmm. can tell that the guys are completely bought in, and uh, it, it's fun basketball to watch. Yeah, absolutely. And honestly, speaking of fun basketball to watch, the Florida Atlantic Owls, um, I know Blaine – Blaine, I kind of, I kind of, uh, uh, got Blaine over to the Florida Atlantic side after. Hook, was it? Hook, yeah, was hook. it? Um, it was probably after the Memphis game, I'd say, when they won in the last few seconds. Um, or maybe it was after Fairleigh Dickinson. I don't know, whatever it was. But um, they hold on, beat K State seventy nine seventy six. Unreal game, Blaine. You texted this, and it really, honestly, kind of made me chuckle. What was Noel doing? going to the basket that fast with that much time left on the clock. He, it was like, what was it? 30.9. And he has to go in and <sighs> you're out of control, man. I mean, there's, there's enough time on the clock. I get you want to get a quick two, you know, maybe foul. You do what you got to do there, but get a good shot. I mean, there's... if there was 15 seconds left, I get it, but acting like there's, you know, yeah. there, there's 40 seconds on the you, you can run a set. You can run a quick pick and pop. You can do a lot of things on a basketball court in 10, let alone 40. And he just rammed it. They just got too excited. And it pissed me off just because there was so much potential for that possession to change the season of Kansas State. And it just, 
Mr. New York got too fired up in MSG, man. And then to not get a shot off oh. made me want I was at a restaurant, thank God. Because if I was here, like, dude, you have to get a shot off. Like, how how can you not? Yeah. Not even not even an attempt after the buzzer. They he didn't even shoot it after the buzzer. They didn't even shoot the ball to end the game. Like, you know, it's like what? How does that happen? They need skip trailing. Just pass it. Once he passes half court, it's nails. Dude, literally. <laughs> I mean, somebody out there, like I would have figured Noel would have hucked to use Johnny's phrase, I would have figured Noel would have hucked the three. He'd been doing it the whole tournament. Like, but enough about case say they don't deserve it. The Florida Atlantic Owls deserve it. And they're uh they're an unbelievable team, Skip. Um, hey, I, super I appreciate the I appreciate that love, Blaine. That, that's uh, much appreciated, brother. <laughs> and and real quick, Chan, I mean, how sickening is that for us to be sitting here talking about Marquise Noel and and the mistake that he made it towards the end of the game, which obviously you know costed them the game. We're sitting here talking about him, and the dude still had thirty points and twelve assists, and it's just yeah. like. It's like, man, you know, that just goes to prove the the margin of victory in basketball in general and in the tournament even more exponentially. The margin of, of error is just so slim to none. I mean, the guy had a phenomenal game, all game, all tournament, really. Um, the, the previous game, I think, what did he have? Like, he accounted for 64% of his team's points. I mean, he had 19 assists and 20 points, which is just unheard of. So it's you know, it's one of those things that K-State had just an absolutely magical run. And for me personally, I think that they were one of the most fun teams to watch. And I was, um, you know, I was I was rooting for them most of the time more than anyone. I wanted to see them make it all the way. And uh, just because of how fun they are to watch and, and uh, you know, the storyline behind them. But it's it's just really, really tough, man, to see Noel make that make that mistake at the end of the game after having such a such a historic tournament run. John, Can I chime in real quick? Yeah, 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 yeah. So he was, first off, there was like five or six seconds left. He was way too casual bringing the ball up. He came, they, they, they inbounded the ball right into the center of the three FAU guys that were in the front court. He took way too long to get the ball up the court. And then when he passed the ball off, what was that guy going to do with it? He was at the volleyball line. So Literally. it was just an unfortunate ending to a great run for him. It was hilarious. Um, watching my father-in-law, like I said, I was watching the games with him over the weekend, and he's Mizzou grad. He was wanting K-State to win so badly. So was I. I was pulling for them. I do think Tang has some room to grow as a coach. Like I was saying, like it would have been nice to kind of settle the guys down, maybe just get some movement of the ball as opposed to just dribbling it and shooting like that. Like There was a couple times late where they did implement some sort of action, and they got to the rim. And so going forward, right, it sucks it ended that way, but I think that they're going to be able to build off of that. Of course, you would hope that they would do that. But here's the last thing. I don't want to rub salt in the wound, but they lost by three. There were two times Kansas State just missed blatant layups. One time was a wide open, wide open layup where the dude, yeah. the guy who wears the long sleeves. Uh, like David kind of, Sills. He fumbled it at his hip a little bit because he was trying to cock that fucking thing back and yam it. And yep. he just like clanked it off of the backboard and then the other guy the the the, the skinnier lanky big who i think is actually pretty good I, I don't know his name either but uh, he also tried to cock that fucking thing back behind his head and dunk it too and he just missed it back iron 
and he was way too far away. I think his name is Jaquan Tomlin, and he I Jaquan. think Jaquan. So. I think so, and he. It was no need. He could have just easily laid it in, just right here. And he was so far away. But, it further I mean, emphasizes the point that Skip made, though, right? I mean, in all of these big games, in football, we talk about this all the time, these huge heavyweight matchups and these big moments, they're decided in the margins. When the Chiefs lost to the Bills and the Bengals in the regular season, it was the, the game was lost in the margins on who fucked up a little bit more. K-State just messed up more than um, more than FAU did, and the Owls are going on. Well, and Johnny Rowe, to back you up on that one as well, brother, sometimes it's a double-edged sword whenever you have such a dynamic player like Marquis Noel. You know, obviously when times are good and you're rolling, it's it's awesome. And it's it's showtime, like like Blaine said, Mr. New York. But other times on, on, the, on the same, uh, the uh, opposite side of the coin, you know, sometimes these teams, whenever they have a guy like that, they can get too reliant on him. And like you said, a lot of the times it looked like K-State, not much ball movement. They were kind of just, you know, waiting to see what Marquise Noel was going to do for them and see if he can pull some shit out of his ass, you know. And and uh, that comes comes back to bite you. And um, so it, it comes down to finding that fine balance of, uh, you know, everybody stepping into their role, everyone making plays and and not relying too much on your guys down the stretch because – as we all know, that can only take you so far. Most of the time, whenever you have dominant guys like that and then it just is a big drop-off, not a lot of teams like that win championships in the, at the end of the day. So it's tough to see, man. Yeah, last thing I'll say, too, Keontae Johnson had an awful game. I thought he played terrible in the Elite Eight game against Florida Atlantic, and he hadn't done that all year. So tough to see. Great run for the Cats. Let's move forward to Sunday's matchups. Uh Miami and Texas, man, Texas is kicking itself uh, these these few days um, after this loss. They were in complete control. I believe they were up by double digits with like 13 minutes-ish left in the second half. Um, and Miami just put their foot down and went to work. And they uh, come back to win 88-81. This was an awesome game. Um, I really thought Texas was going to win this. But if I remember correctly, been a couple days. Marcus Carr got a little tweaked, right, in this game, and that really kind of felt like it affected the game a little bit, um, in my opinion. That's kind of when Miami started to make their run, um, which K-State actually avoided against Michigan State because Skip and I talked last week, not to go back to K-State, but Marquise Noel hurt his ankle against Michigan State, and he was out for about four or five possessions, and that game got real ugly real quick. Thank God he came back, and I don't know if K-State wins that game without him. But kind of like this with Texas, they kind of lost momentum at the absolute worst time, and Miami snatched the opportunity and comes back to win. I mean, that's a convincing win in the tournament game, in my opinion, to be a really, really solid team like Texas with playmakers all over. They've been a huge – we've been a huge fan of them on the Figure It Out pod. Um, really like this Texas team. Um, but Miami, they've, they've been one of those teams in this tournament that just keeps finding ways to do it, and here they are in the Final Four. First time in school history, I believe, Skip. Um, big for the ACC as well because, um, like Blaine mentioned, K-State and Texas were it for the Big 12, and not a Big 12 team in the Final Four hurts that a little bit. So um, hats off to Miami. What a performance by the Hurricanes, and like uh, Johnny said, Jim, Jim Laranega is so cool. would love to play for that guy. 
Yeah, no, 100% Chan. Um, Miami is really, really fun to watch. They have just been consistent all year. And um, they obviously, uh, they got the number one seed coming out of the ACC regular season tournament. Uh, or I'm sorry, the regular season going into the tournament. And then uh, my Duke Blue Devils knocked them off in the conference tournament championship, yeah. um, which doesn't mean anything at this point. But um Miami, man, we're going back, Johnny and Blaine and Chan, going back to the uh, talking about the balance scoring. I mean, they just have guys that come at you from all different directions. Um, Jordan Miller in particular, man, uh, he was 13 for 13 from the free throw line, seven for seven from the field, had 27 points. It was actually the first perfect game as far as shooting the basketball since Christian Leitner in 1992 against Kentucky. Ah. Um, so I thought that that was pretty cool. And uh, like you said, Chan, uh, first time for Miami going to the Final Four, good representation of the ACC. Uh, this is actually, I was reading again, that this is the first time since 1970 that uh, there are three out of the four teams that this is their first time in the Final Four. Um, the only team currently uh, in this year's Final Four that has already been there is UConn. Um, I believe they've been there, I want to say six times is what I read. Um, so Miami, man, I mean, just looking at their box score from that game against Texas, uh, 27, 16, 15, 14, 11. I mean, just balanced scoring all across the board. Um, and, uh, I mean, they had the ACC player of the year this year in Isaiah Wong. And uh, he was uh, the guy that had 14 points out of that list. And Jordan Miller, like I said, just just steps up, makes huge, huge plays down the stretch. Um, and we've been talking a lot about free throw shooting. Mm. Free throw shooting for Miami was huge in this game. They went 28 for 32 from the line, 88%. That's massive. Um, considering I feel like a lot of teams in the tournament have kind of been struggling from the line in most of these games. Um, so for them to, to go to the line 32 times, um, and make 28 of them is huge. I mean, free throws have got to be automatic. They win or lose you games sometimes. So Miami playing really, really good basketball right now. I'm kind of right there with you, Johnny Rowe. Um, even though they are in the ACC, I, uh, I, would, I would much rather them represent the ACC in a good way and, and uh, kind of, I guess, solidify Duke beating them in the ACC tournament. Again, even though it doesn't mean jack shit now. But... Uh, you know, I, I would I would love to see Miami in the in the national title game, and and they're really fun to watch. Jim Laranega, Hall of Famer coach, without a doubt. Um, so yeah, they're they're playing really good basketball right now. Real quick on Isaiah Wong, I read this really cool article. This guy on ESPN, I forgot his name, so sorry to this guy, but um, he he did an article about like who would be the best starting five at each um school in the final four all time so like UConn was like Kimba Emeka Okafor like it was like an all-time starting five Miami's shooting guard was Isaiah Wong wow that's current like and uh, obviously like Florida Atlantic three of their guys were were uh (laughs) on their final (laughs) four team but like that's not a very big basketball school but like for Miami to be on the team right now, and you're the starting point guard on the all-time team, that's pretty damn cool. Johnny, you had something to say, you wanted to say about Texas? Well, I've been blabbing a lot. I feel like Blaine needs to talk if he wants to talk about Texas. I mean, we can go back and forth, but I'm, I've been sitting here waiting to say, 
you know, we Marcus Carr had such a great tournament and Noel had such a great tournament. Skip, I appreciate how you highlighted that. You know, instead of looking at those last 30 seconds, those the two of those guys have had some of the best tournaments we've seen. But with 45 seconds left to play, one possession game, Miami up two, Marcus Carr forces it, miss, immediately fouls with 35 seconds left. It could have been like a chance there to get a stop and get the ball back with five. Maybe they wanted to foul that early, but you just felt like he pushed it just a little too much there at the end to kind of freak out that it was it was just tough to watch because Texas had a chance after those two made a, Miami free throws. I thought that was a stupid foul. Right. It was a stupid foul because you might as well play out that possession. Try to get his try to get a steal before you have to foul. I just didn't get it at all, Johnny. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you guys part of the reason this shit is so frustrating be- is because, you know, we are all such geniuses from our couch and yeah. we know better than these guys, right? But it, they are amateurs. Like that's the, it's the beauty of college sports. But like, you know, when you bet on college sports, you kick yourself after like, why the hell did this guy do that? Well, he's 20. You know what I mean? Like when I was 20, I was yeah. like bonging four locos and these guys are shooting hoops. Like, <laughs> you know, it's just that you're, you're young. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I was a big fan of Texas's team this year. They took two out of three from my Jayhawks. I think they're a really good team. And I'm, and frankly, the one that, you know, Kansas probably had no business in, in, in the one that they did win. So uh, I know, I think there was a turning point in the game. It, it just seemed like a momentum shift. And I think it's because a certain player wasn't playing for Texas for, for Texas. They were up 12 with about 10 to go. And, you know, then, then it kind of just slowly went away. And I think it's because Miami was able to get to the rim and the best player since the start of conference, the conference tournament play was Dylan Disu, D-I-S-U yeah. is his last name. And he goes out in the first couple of minutes against Xavier, and they really did not have a, a, a great inside presence. Thankfully, they were still making jump shots, and they were a very good jump shooting team this year. But his presence in the middle was 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 greatly missed. If you go back to his game log from the start of conference play to when he went out, here was the box score finishes for him, right? He's, he's a finisher at the rim, a presence, and then he rebounds the ball all the time. Opening round of the Big 12 tournament, 11 and 11 against Oklahoma State. Next round against TCU, 15 and 8. Next round against Kansas, 18 and 6. Then he gets to the NCAA tournament, Colgate, 17 and 10. Against Penn State, he had 28 and 10. I mean, this is a guy who was basically averaging a double double. I think in the NCAA tournament, the two games, he was averaging 23 and 10. He goes out in the first couple of minutes against Xavier. They still boat raced him, but then they got into like the nitty gritty parts of the game right against Miami where they needed to be, you know, to bear down and use the word again to get gritty and, you know, get to the free throw line or whatever it was to kind of get there to, to uh, get a foothold on the game. He, he wasn't there. And they started turning the ball over. Carr got a little casual with it, like you guys were talking about. And that really ended up being the the end of their season. I am very interested to see how Rodney Terry, who was given the full-time job, they removed the interim tag yesterday. I'm very interested to see how Rodney Terry is as a head coach. Because keep in mind, Chris Beard was coaching this team to start the season. They paid a lot of money to get Chris Beard away from Texas Tech, to move him from Lubbock to Austin. And this was his recruiting class. I'm very curious to see with the with NIL with recruiting how Rodney Terry does uh, as the coach of the Longhorns there. 
I hope, I hope he can stay at the top of the Big 12 because I don't want to see the Jayhawks up there for the rest of my lifetime. Ah, be quiet, you. <laughs> <laughs> but back to Miami, though. I, I, you said you gave a Laranaga plug, and whenever I watched Miami against Drake, what Laranaga did to Drake in the last two minutes of that basketball game was just pure genius coaching. They had one, one point guard. Drake couldn't handle the ball. Laranaga, trap, trap, full court, trap. Went on a 16-1 to run. What they do uh, a few weeks ago or a few days ago, trap, trap. And then the, the guards are just so good that Laranaga can do so much with them. Like he did at George Washington or George Mason, excuse me. Like he's done before. He just is so creative with his mind. They shot eight threes and scored 88 points against Texas because of the spacing, the guard creativity. They can, you know, Dribble drive and a guard, you know, has the, just the wits about him and how Laranega can use those guards offensively and defensively is honestly amazing to watch. And it's been so fun. Laranega is one of like his firmly planted his flag and one of my favorite college basketball coaches of all time during this run. Yeah, that's a really awesome stat, Blaine. Really well done. Final Elite Eight game. Creighton and San Diego State. I uh, this was such an ugly game, and it might have been the best game on the menu that had the worst finish. Um, a lot of controversy around this game. Start out with the game I thought was just a phenomenal basketball, a phenomenal college basketball game. Um, it had all the parody, it had the craziness, it had the dumbness, it had the down to the last second um, feel to it. Um, both teams. Uh, Creighton kind of got out a little early. I swear, Skip, uh, this is a Glendale, this is a Glendale kid, but I swear that, uh, freaking, uh, Creighton has two Zach Helms on the team. Number 55, uh, Baylor Schneider or something like that. Um, dude, he plays just like Zach Helm. It's crazy. He and really they, does. Kind of looks they, like him out there too. <laughs> yeah. And then they have that guy off the bench too. Like, I think he's like 13 or something. He looks even more like him, but, um, <laughs> Two really good teams, uh, two really good defensive teams, and really good guard play. We talked about Ryan Nimhard last week, how he made Creighton go. And he uh, – I believe he was the one – unfortunately, the refs were a play at this, but he made the mistake of fouling the San Diego State player, if I remember correctly. Um, so just the, like back to all these games, in the, in the margins, as Johnny said, uh, it was right there. I mean – We'll talk about the foul here in a second, but um, he's an unbelievable guard. Uh, San Diego State, really good, really, really good guard play. It's crazy how well they can defend. Um, and they win at the free throw line with like 1.2 seconds left on the clock. 57-56, Skip, maybe your thoughts on the game real quick, and we'll we'll ask the guys what they think about the, the call. Man, so – just a really, in Johnny Rose words, just a really gritty basketball game. I mean, 57-56, super low scoring, very high intensity on the defensive end. Um, Chan, I really thought the the difference in this game, and it's obviously hindsight 2020, you never know what could have happened or what should have happened or what would have happened. But Ryan Nimhard. He gets hurt late in the game. I'm not exactly sure what the diagnosis is, but he had a hand injury. And it was like the last five or six minutes of that game, I felt like after he came back and was clearly hobbled from the injury, 
was still able to dribble and whatnot and handle the ball, but he did not take a single shot like the last five or six minutes of the game. I don't think he probably could physically shoot because his hand was so hurt. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, he only ha- ended up having eight shot attempts for the game, uh, ended with seven points. Um, you know, he had a phenomenal tournament. He's a phenomenal player. And really, I mean, he's kind of Creighton's energizer bunny. I mean, they go as he goes. Him only getting up eight shots really, really hurt them down the stretch. Um, you know, he, he puts up, let's just say, 15 or 16 points. Like, they win by eight, you know? Like, that. that's that's his lack of scoring. And I'm not sitting here saying that the entire game is his fault or whatever, but you know, you get eight or nine or 10 more points out of Nimhart, like that's the difference in the game right there. And um, so really unfortunate for Creighton. Um, we've talked about it all year, Chan, injuries and staying healthy. I mean, that that can be the difference in wins and losses in the tournament. Um, after just such a grinding, long season, I mean, nobody, and I mean nobody, is, is 100% healthy at this point in the season. They are dealing with, ticky tack injuries and and just stuff that they've been dealing with for a long time and um so you hate to see it but i'm really curious i'm just going to give you guys the floor on this one about the call because i do not think it was a foul at all that's all i'm gonna say i hated it skip i hated it i'm sorry i just had to i had to blurt right away hated it it pissed me off absolutely i absolutely hated it no way you can make that call in that situation However, I will say we have been very fortunate as Kansas City Chiefs fans to be on the opposite end of that. So, of course, you know, Creighton fans are going to sit here and say, oh, no shot that that was a foul. No way you can call that. While San Diego State fans, on the other hand, hey, it was a hand check. He was, you know, he had his hand on his hip the whole time. It was 100% a foul. So it's, you know, if you're a referee, I would absolutely hate to be a referee um because you just cannot win in either way in that situation but yeah like i said giving you guys the floor in my opinion no foul johnny i'll let you go because i think i think you and i are on the same side here um we've heard from the other two um it it was a foul right johnny oh i mean it's it's 100% a foul. When can you grab and put your hand on a jump shooter on his midsection? You can't. So, but here's the thing. Big Cat had a, it, this, it was my approach too. All right. I want to start this off by saying I hate all officials and I think there should be jails beneath jails <laughs> for referees to go to. I or hate Buffalo. Officials. Or, or Buffalo. Buffalo, New York. Yeah. We'll just call it that. Hell and hell and Buffalo, New York go hand in hand. I hate officials, <laughs> but here's the thing as they, they all suck and they suck because when even when they are best at their job, their fucking job sucks. And so as a sports fan, you need to embrace that it's all fluid. You will be on both sides of this shit. You are going to cheer for a team that gets screwed in a big moment by a call, and you're going to be cheering for a team that's going to benefit by a big, a big call in a big moment, okay? By the letter of the law, you guys mentioned the Chiefs. By the letter of the law, that was holding. James Bradbury said it was holding. It sucks. It's a big moment, but in a vacuum, if that's at any point in the game, it's holding. So I, with all due respect, do not believe in the swallow your whistle whole thing. I'm, I don't believe in that. Okay. It's a huge moment. 
I completely dis- completely disagree with that, you guys. <laughs> okay, I completely disagree. And so that was a foul. It sucks that it ended that way. But here's the thing: like, it's stupid that that is a foul. Like, if you're just thinking of sports in general, like he was just putting his hand on his midsection. He did grab a little bit of the jersey, but there it really didn't alter any part of the shot, in my opinion. But by what they tell us. That is a foul according to the rules. So the rules suck, okay? But it was it by the rule, it's a foul. It was called, and they made the free throws. If you want to be mad at somebody, in my opinion, be mad at McDermott. Why did he burn their last foul to give with like six or seven seconds left? Why didn't he just keep that foul and foul them with like three seconds left? And then, they, then they're forced into an inbound and getting a shot off in two or three seconds as opposed to seven seconds. That's a big difference. Those are my thoughts, but I know I'm like the old fucking grandpa dad, but that's a foul, damn it. No, I'll, Johnny, I'll defend you here, dude. I think it was a foul too, and I actually disagree with your point about it didn't affect the shot because as a shooter, you want to shoot straight up and down, and all of a sudden you got this guy – and let's be honest here. We've been we've played all of us have played defense in basketball. You give a guy you're not giving a guy a little contact. You're not just like put your place in your hand. Like you're giving him a good shove. And as he's going up right here for the floater, hopefully you guys can hear me. Okay, I'm a little far from the mic. The little floater here. He's right here in the middle. And then all of a sudden you can see he's like he's literally like this as he's getting shoved in the back by the guy. And I'm and I, I like I like Johnny's use of vacuum. Any other time in the game, it's a foul. Any other time. exactly. It happened to be at 1.2 seconds. I believe they reviewed it and put 1.2 on. It happened to be then. Blaine, I'm sorry. You're shaking your head a lot, but. There's there's just two different types of officials. There's one, there's a, a video of this where the official that called the foul was like hunched over looking at it like he's got binoculars on you know he's like looking at every fine detail and then there's the other official who's sitting there with his arms across his chest just kind of just chilling i'm not calling a foul unless something blatant happens i'm not calling a foul and in my opinion a floater where the offensive guard was floating in the air. He didn't get shoved, guys. He's he he got lightly grazed. When you're shooting a floater, I mean, he was already going the opposite direction, away from the basket. He wasn't going straight at it. He was no. He was, he was, no, he was shooting a floater, and that floater was his form, his body, his his base did not get affected that much, especially in that situation. Hey. And Blaine, I love all of your points because I could not agree more, brother. And Chan and Johnny, this is all I have to ask you about that situation. Like this is this, in my opinion, this is what it comes down to. So say they don't call that. Say say they don't blow the whistle and the game goes into overtime. And say Creighton pulls it out and wins that game. Are people sitting here talking about that not being a foul? I don't think so. I don't think that I don't think that play even crosses their mind. Like it wasn't blatantly a foul. Like, you know, granted if the guy two hands, you know, shoves him or if it's a obvious push, you know, yes, maybe. But all I'm saying is if Creighton if that game goes into overtime and Creighton wins that game, are they talking about that if they didn't call that? 
Are they San Diego about- State fans absolutely are because that play itself is going to be scrutinized. It went off of the front iron. They would have said, well, if he didn't get touched, it would have been more behind the shot. And so I, I, I think that they would. And what I also think about the officials that these <laughs> guys, they're tr- the officiating organizations who, by the way, should rot in Buffalo. They train these guys like they're very heavily scrutinized. If you look at the way it is now for young guys to become officials, it is like militaristic. Okay. And so this guy who called the foul, I'm not defending him. I think he should be in jail. Okay. But he is trained every day to watch for certain things that it's robotic. It's robotic. And so this guy is trained to be an official and he watched and he viewed that to be a foul. And if you watch the replay by the letter of the law, it's a foul. It doesn't mean it doesn't suck. Like, fuck that guy. But it's it. It was a foul. I think they should remove all fouls and they should get in like hockey style fights. Maybe then these guys (laughs) wouldn't be such fucking prima donnas. Yeah, maybe. (laughs) But nonetheless, the San Diego State Aztecs are going to the Final Four to complete the Final Four as we wrap up the show here. Let's go through the Final Four quickly. I want to do a little roundtable here as we close the show. Um, I want you guys to give us your national champion and champion, and we'll uh, we'll see how how the boys do, okay? But we'll talk about the games just briefly. Florida, Atlanta, San Diego State, I think that's a huge clash of styles. I think that both teams guard really well. Both teams have good guard play. Um, I just think that San Diego State with Brian Dutcher, who is such an experienced coach, has the leg up there. It's kind of like the Chiefs-Eagles matchup, and the teams are so evenly matched. It's who has the better coach, and I'm going to lead with the Aztecs there. And then on Miami-UConn, um, it, Miami has been a team that's been able to battle through uh, deficits, adversity, et cetera, whatever you want to say. But I'm uh, I'm afraid that UConn is too hot right now. I'm afraid that they are playing at all three levels and incredibly well on the offensive end and on the defensive end. When you have a guy like Sonoga who can man the paint, I think it's a huge, huge issue for Miami. Um, they're gonna have to make it a very, very close game. That might sound stupid, but if UConn goes on a run where they get out to ten plus, I think it's get it could get very dangerous for the Hurricanes uh, quickly. Those are my overall thoughts. Skip, you got overall thoughts on it? Then we'll do the roundtable and we'll get out of here. Man, Shanna, I absolutely love your picks right there because I am going the complete opposite. Wow. I'm going the Battle of Florida. I'm going Florida, Atlantic, and Miami. Um, I think FAU, just the storyline behind FAU is is so good. And, and not that that – you know, not that the storylines, you know, you got to you got to still get in the trenches and get in between the lines and play the game. But um, I think the FAU, man, if you're a team that wins over 30 games, I don't care what conference you're in. You're a really, really good basketball team. And to me, that's just a team that they just know how to win. And they they have figured out ways to win, um, you know. Their uh, their run, they had to. They ran into Fairley Dickinson second round. Everyone was all you know hyped up about Fairley Dickinson, and and um, you know they they cruised past Fairley Dickinson. Then they go through Tennessee, who I thought for sure that's where Florida Atlantic's run was going to end. I thought Tennessee was going to knock them off. Nope, they win another hard fought, gritty game. 
um, only scoring 62 points that game. And then uh, just a fantastic game against uh, against K-State. And uh, so I just I think that this team knows how to win. John L. Davis is uh, really fun to watch. I really like his game a lot. Um, and then on the flip side, man, I think uh, I think the same thing for Miami. I think that they are uh, just really, really hot right now. And um, it's funny that I'm saying this uh, because I do believe that uh, Andy Katz, the college basketball analyst, he came out with uh, the power rankings, quote unquote, for the remaining Final Four. And uh, he had UConn as number one uh, with the way that they're playing. So um, I think, uh, like I said, Chan, we've uh, we've agreed on a lot of things this season. And, and I've loved every second of the pod. Uh, but we've also had a few disagreements yep. and um, it's going to be interesting to see because uh, just to give you a quick little reminder, I believe I, uh, if I remember correctly, I went four and two in the uh, conference uh, championship predictions and you went, uh, you went oh and six. And so, yeah. <laughs> um, so we'll see, uh, we'll see who has the bragging rights on this one, make it a little inter- interesting um see what happens and uh make the best man win so yeah man i'm going uh fau and miami the battle of florida it's sad to say but i completely agree with skip i could really really use this to round out the year because i can't lose both the conference championships and the natty so skip real quick though we'll do this we'll do this just real quick who's your champion man i got the u i got the uh, u of miami uh i think they are just the most balanced uh, well-rounded team. I mean, they can score, they can defend. They have uh, arguably one of the best players in the nation. We talked about him a lot earlier, Isaiah Wong. Um, and then they have a Hall of Famer coach and Jim, Jim Laranega. We've been giving him a lot of kudos, a lot of credit on this episode. Uh, so I think that at the end of the day, the end of the day that uh, Laranega and the Canes are going to be cutting down the nets. I love it. Blaine, we'll go to you. No, we'll go to Johnny. Blaine's chewing there. We'll give him a couple more minutes uh, to finish up his dinner. What are you having, by the way, Blaine? Even though I'm going to make you talk now. Steak, potatoes, and green beans. I come from Kansas City or something. I love that. Johnny, give us your thoughts on the Final Four matchup. Scroll quick. Kind of roll it all into one with your your, uh, participants in the natty and your winner. Well, I think that the media, like the media production companies don't really like these matchups. They like when these big programs are in there, but I love this kind of thing. I love that San Diego State and and FAU are, are one of those teams is going to be in the national championship. I mean, how about that? That's really cool. I do think your national champion, though, is coming from the other side of the bracket. I think your national champion is going to be either UConn or Miami. Um, I'm going to flag plant Miami. I love Larinaga. Like we've all been saying, he's got such a sick name. They've paid for a bunch of players and look, that's just how it's, that's just how it is these days. All right. Like it or not, boomer, get the hell out of here. You know, these guys are using their real estate to recruit and they're paying people instead of it's, should I go play in the middle of nowhere, you know, Missouri, or should I go play in Miami, Florida? and get paid to do it. Okay, well that's an that's an easy choice. And look, I'm not I'm not cool. I'm like a dad and I'm married, but I just found out that there's a set of really hot twins that play for the Miami Chicks team <laughs> even though they just got bounced. So like even more reason to cheer for this team. And you know Larinaga's a dog. I mean, he knows about these twins. And yeah. so like I'm all on all on board for them. 
The biggest thing for them is they're going to have to have an answer to Sonogo. He's the most enjoyable. Look, I like Zach Eady. He's really fun to watch. But Sonogo reminds me of Doke from Kansas. Yudoka Azubuki. Like, just the way they play. But Sonogo has got vision. When he gets double teamed, he's able to pass out of it. And I think the way he runs the floor is really... Um, uh, it's going to be a hard thing for Miami to match. Um, and if UConn is missing some threes, though, I, I think that's going to be hard for them to to keep up with Miami's offense. So I think that's your national champion out of there. I'm going to pick. It's going to be Miami versus San Diego State. I think that they. Uh, I think they're going to they're going to beat FAU, but really that could go either way. I'm super pumped for this. Go Canes. Blaine, wrap us up, brother. I'm shocked you guys picked so many Canes. Because I think UConn's the best team left in this Final Four. Atta boy, but, Blaine. No, but I'm going Miami, Chandler. Just oh, a little tease. Oh, <laughs> the switch up. Uh, but <laughs> UConn has played. Of course. Of course you would do that to me. Of course uh, you would do that to me. But, but UConn's played St. Mary's, Iona, Arkansas, and Gonzaga. All four of those teams could take their best guards uh, from a jump shot standpoint, from a dribble dribble drive standpoint, from a quickness standpoint, and I don't think you could pick out each guard on each four of those teams and pick out a better guard roster at Miami. I, I think Miami has the ability to make some shots. As Marquette beat UConn in the Big East Tournament Championship, I, I, I think that Miami can replicate it. I'm going Miami all the way, Miami to win the natty. Um, I'll pick San Diego State on the other side, but ultimately I think it's just the way Laranega can sauce up Wong and Pack and all the all, all the guys. Wow. I you know what? I should say I'm surprised, but I'm really not. Unbelievable. Uh, a lot of bragging rights on the line for me. I really, really hope that I can get this done because it will come back on all of you. Um, I have my ways to do it, including this podcast. What a fun, fun time it was to have the football guys on with us. Blaine, Johnny, we appreciate your time. Skip, as always. We'll have to do one next Tuesday. Uh, because it'll be the natty on Monday, so we'll break it down for the final pod. But a good good way to close out this tournament. What a run it's been. Two more games on Saturday, natty on Monday. Um, awesome time, guys. I appreciate it, uh, each and every one of you, as always. And we will uh, we'll talk to you here in the second part. Stay tuned, though, because Johnny and Blaine and I are back for NFL Free Agency in part two of the Figure It Out pod. Boys, I appreciate it. We'll talk to you later. See you. Phenomenal episode, guys. You guys are great. <laughs> See you, Skeevy. Okay, everybody, welcome back. Part two, Figure It Out podcast with me, Chandler Collins. The football guy stayed, Skip left for a softball game, as we mentioned. Uh, best of luck to him and his team, the Impossible Sluggers. No, Improved Balls. Improved that was Balls. That doesn't really make a whole lot of sense to me. But regardless, good luck to the improved balls on their week two matchup out there in the KC Recplex. Blaine and Johnny with me. We're going to talk a little NFL free agency. A lot to unpack here as we approach the draft rapidly. I believe it's less than a month away. If my dates serve me correctly, today being the March or 28th of March. Um, first day of draft, April 25th, I believe. 27th down right 27th okay so we are just under a month away um so the boys are with me uh we're gonna go by division johnny rowe's gonna lead us through johnny rowe i would say out of all of us probably knows the most about what's the uh the climate in the nfl right now in terms of who's gone to certain places or what have you 
So Johnny Rosen and Charts tonight. Can't wait to be back on here with you guys talking about a little football here. It's going to feel good. Johnny, take it away, brother. All right. Well, there's a lot of stuff to get to, and you know we're busy guys, so we're not going to spend you know hours going through this, even though we could. I think the best way to do it is just go division by division. I'll just introduce the team that we're going to talk about, what they've done, where they're picking, or you know who's it been added, who's who's left, and uh, we'll just toss it over to you guys, and we'll kind of just bounce it around. Uh, okay. So let's do that first, and and we'll you know, just podcast pro tip, you know, we might get to the chiefs early or late. You're going to have to listen to the whole segment to, to figure out, you know, yeah. to figure it out. You're right. Okay. So we'll, we'll get to the chiefs at some point. So let's start in the NFC South. This is a bad division. Okay. Uh, Tampa Bay won the division last year. They'll be picking 19th, but of course, no more Tom Brady. So it's, is it Kyle Trask? Is it going to be Baker Mayfield who they brought in this off season? Uh, that remains to be seen. Maybe it'll be somebody uh, in the draft. Um, but just some other news and notes from their team. Leonard Fournette, who's been there for a while, was released, and so was Cam Brate, a tight end they had. They brought back cornerback Jamel Dean, who I think is a pretty good player. I did mention it was Baker Mayfield. They brought in on a one-year $8.5 million deal. They're going to keep Levante David, and they brought in running back Chase Edmonds, who not too long ago was doing some good stuff for Arizona, but last year bounced around between Miami uh, and Denver. So, Chan, let's just start with you here. Your thoughts on what Tampa Bay is doing. Again, they're picking 19th in this draft with some uncertainty at quarterback I think they're dead Johnny I think they potentially could be one of the worst teams in the NFC um I think that there's worse teams in their division than them though obviously so I think they could probably somehow backdoor their way maybe close to the playoffs I don't think they get it um I don't think that's either a good option at quarterback and they're not going to draft one at 19 um and we've seen time and time again teams in the NFL it's all about the quarterback um, and that'll be a common theme throughout this episode tonight. But Tampa, um, you, I think, too, like you don't just lose a guy like Tom Brady, no matter how many years he gave you or whatever. You don't just lose him and then everything's still fine. Like they're going to have issues. And before Tom Brady, that just shows a part of his greatness as well. Tampa as a franchise was a joke. Like it, you never thought about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and you really never thought about the city of Tampa. Um, and now – after post Tom Brady, um, can they keep up that sustained success? I don't think so. And they're they could be in hell for a while or Buffalo, whichever one you want to talk about. And at least I got some nice weather in Tampa Bay. Moving on, Carolina, which this is interesting. So the way we're going through this is I I just organized the divisions by how they finished last year, right? So Tampa was first, Carolina was second in the division, New Orleans third, Atlanta fourth. I brought this up a little while ago. I do not understand, and maybe I'm just dumb and missing something. I don't understand why Carolina is slated to pick one pick before New Orleans when New Orleans finished third in the division. If you finish better in the division, you should pick later in the draft. So if Carolina finished second, and New Orleans finished third in their division. Why is Carolina picking before New Orleans? It should be the other way around. Anyways, I don't think there's an answer to it, and they were hoping that we uh, just glossed over that, but Johnny Rowe did not. Carolina was supposed to pick ninth. They, of course, have traded up to first overall with Chicago, so Carolina is on the clock. They have the first pick in the draft. Um, they have a new coach this year. It's Frank Reich, who mixed reviews on him. I tend to think he's a pretty good coach that has had some ridiculous quarterback situations uh, in, in Indianapolis, but now 
uh, steps into an equally uncertain quarterback situation, but it does feel like that Carolina is going to take a quarterback here. Just the uh, details on the big trade. Carolina gives gives up, um, excuse me, yeah, Carolina gives up pick number 961 in this draft, their first next year, their second in 2025, and DJ Moore, which I think is like the biggest wow. wrinkle in all of this. He's an awesome player. We're going to get Blaine's thoughts on, on what Carolina is up to after I go through the rest of this. Uh, the Panthers are also paying $14.6 million in dead cap this season for DJ Moore. So a lot to give up for the first overall pick. So Blaine, your thoughts on Carolina, Frank Reich, and what the hell they're going to do with the first overall pick. I, you know, if I'm then I'm I'm going Stroud. I think that's the right thing to do. Andy Dalton, they went out signed two year, eleven million, a great backup. As much as he is a backup, I guess D A Dennis Allen didn't see that last year. Um, DJ Chark for five is. I mean, at the start of this free agency, I didn't think that they were going to be able to get. Or Chark was going to go for five in itself. You know, I'm surprised that the Chiefs haven't made a move. We'll we'll go on that here a little bit later, but. Ultimately, you know, looking at the market, Thielen them for three and twenty-five million, and then Hurst for three twenty-one. They got a great haul at the free agency end of things, and I think they looked at that and went after some free agents, gave away some of the some of the real money they had, and you know they're they're just trying to start fresh. And I think it's the right thing to do if you're Carolina because you need to start fresh. They could be good. They could be good. And I'm really excited to see if they win this division because they have a chance to. Special shout out to the Panthers um, because they won me that bet against Burner. Uh, I'm rooting for the Panthers. I think about yeah. all the NFC South teams, I want Carolina to do the best. Yeah, and Blaine, your point there is awesome. Like the, the They surrendered a ton for the first overall pick, and I think – I think their owners, Dave Tepper, he, 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 they've, been, they've lost a lot since he's been there. So like he wants to win and he's a very prideful man, but they view the division there for the taking. And so that's why they need to go get their guy. And I think by trading for one, they've identified who that is. And to us, it, it remains to be seen. Von Bell was another good addition for them. Um, I didn't understand the Miles Sanders addition. You trade away McCaffrey and then pay a running back that's already got some NFL hits uh, lined up on him. So I wasn't really sure about, about that one. Hey, re-signed Bozeman too. And then um, when got McCray, I'm not, I don't know who this is, an offensive guard, but they did re-sign Bozeman, their center, who was a pretty big centerpiece of them. Yeah, I'm going to run the football last year. It was effective. So Thielen too. Yep. Yep. Yeah. They, they brought in some guys to replace DJ Moore. It's just kind of cool that Carolina is on the clock and that pick will take place in Kansas City, Missouri. Pretty yeah. cool here in, in about a month. So let's move on. A lot of teams to get to. Chandler, you'll take this one after we get through the news and notes. It's the New Orleans Saints who finished third in that division. Head coach D.A. Blaine's favorite. Dumb ass. Tenth originally was their selection, but that was sent to Philly last year, right? Remember, if you guys can all recall and the listeners can recall, Philly and the Saints did a bit of a pick swap last year. The Saints identified, we want Chris Olave, so they went up to get him. Well, now this year they have the 10th overall pick, and that's going over to Philly. So Philly has two picks in the first round. But the Saints did end up getting a first-round pick. It's number 29, and that ended up coming to them. Um, it was a pick that was moved around a bunch. San Francisco over to Miami, Miami over to Denver, Denver over to uh, the Saints for the rights to Sean Payton. So, uh, Saints number 29 overall will be their pick. Biggest move for them in the offseason, 
They brought in Derek Carr, four years, 150 million. Derek Carr's so weird. Like he's <laughs> so fucking weird, man. And that it it was weird enough that Derek Carr, who is like the kind of guy that he's a big what the frick guy, you know, was the quarterback in in Sin City. And now he goes down to New Orleans. It just doesn't fit right. Um, a couple other moves by them. Former Chief Colin Saunders uh, goes over to the Saints. Another former Chief. They re-signed Tano Passigno, Um, mm. And they're bringing back Michael Thomas. They're bringing back Jameis Winston, who feels a lot more like New Orleans. Very weird. Chandler, your thoughts on what the Saints are doing right now? And then probably going to get some feedback from Blaine, too. What the Saints are doing feeds perfectly into what I'm about to talk about. And I love being back on the Figure It Out pod football edition. Don't get me wrong. I like all my other ones. But this one feels good to be back a part of because I am going to implement a flag plant early in the 2023-2024 season. The Saints are dead to me. For what I put my neck on the line for them with Blaine in this past season – I don't care what they do, and I, quite frankly, it works out great for me because Derek Carr in New Orleans, I, that gives me a better reason to not root for him. So they're dead to me. They are stinky. Johnny waving his hand in front of his nose. That's a stinky team right now, and it shouldn't be. On paper, like we said uh, last season, on paper, they should be ridiculous. They have dudes on all, all over the football field. I don't get it. They can't get the quarterback right. And I don't trust Derek Carr to do anything. Um, and I hate the guy. So perfect for New Orleans. And they are dead to me as dead could ever be. Um, I will not buy into them. Carolina is going to be my team in this division. I can already tell. They're dead to me because my favorite Chiefs jersey of all time, the double nines of Colin Saunders is dead. I get to retire it. It pisses me off. But as I'm thinking about that, though, Colin's going to bring a lot to that locker room. Michael Thomas is already bringing a lot to that locker room. Jamal Williams is the biggest character in all of the NFL. And Jameis Winston, we know who that guy is. He eats his fingers in, in a pregame huddle. <laughs> that locker room is going to be an absolute clown show. Clown show. And the captain of the ship is D.A. Dumbass. It's one of my favorite bits from last season. That's yeah, top five. Yeah, murdered that. Oh, he and he is weird. They just had the... Uh, Barstool is putting this up. Uh, it's it's been on Twitter. They had the the coaches and GMs meeting, and Dennis Allen just looks out of place. He just looks weird, like he had mm -hmm. his lanyard with his pass around his neck. It's like, dude, you are one of thirty two. We know who you are. Get a clue. It's obvious he's just a coordinator, and this is. I think it's going to be uh, a mess in New Orleans. Let's finish out the division. Uh, in the NFC South, the Atlanta Falcons picking at number eight in this draft. That's just an evergreen sentence. This is an inept organization right now that has to figure out some sort of success. Another prideful owner, Arthur Blank, a, a state-of-the-art stadium, a, a starving fan base. We saw how they've supported the Atlanta Braves and eight in Atlanta FC um, in, in the MLS. This is a team that really needs uh, some success uh, in Atlanta and really they they might like Desmond Ritter more than most but he stinks he's bad and so you'd, you'd think they might be in the running here for one of these quarterbacks early on who knows they might just take more irrelevant draft picks like Kyle Pitts and Drake London who are going to rot on that team if they don't figure out quarterbacks so frankly uh, with all due respect to our friend and figure it out 
uh, correspondent Lucas Gant, uh, who's a Falcons fan. I think this is like one of those forgotten five irrelevant franchises right now uh, in the league. And so maybe they'll trade for somebody like Lamar Jackson and make a big splash. But as of right now, they they are pretty much irrelevant. Looking through their uh, free agent transactions, kind of all a bunch of mid players. They paid a ton of money for Jesse Bates from Cincinnati, who is a very good player. But that's not what's going to fix your team right now, Atlanta. A safety is not going to fix your team. You need to score. You need to score the football. And that starts at quarterback. Blaine, your thoughts on Atlanta? Yeah, I mean... They had the second most, like it's a fifty-five million to spend, and they—I mean, they spent it. But you just—you're going through some of these names. Obviously, Jesse Bates is a, a phenomenal player. You re-signed Chris Lindstrom, who's a phenomenal offensive guard. Caleb McGarry—they got a tackle, so they solidified up front a little bit. But it's just—I guess you got to do that before you can do the next step, and that's where they're thinking. But it just is pretty premature. Of yeah, I—I—I I, I, I don't have a ton to say. I don't know what to expect out of them because if. If they do make something bigger happen in June or July, then we can talk. But no, I, I don't have a ton to cover on the Falcons. I was muted for a second. Okay, well, that's fine. We'll we'll just continue to move on here. We're going to come back to you on this one, Blaine, so get ready because it's Minnesota. And so this is your team, but we'll, we'll go to the NFC North next. Minnesota won this division. They are picking 23rd in this draft, which also could be an evergreen sentence. Minnesota getting into the playoffs and then kind of having an underwhelming finish picking in the 20 range, but mm. um, Kirk is still their quarterback. I do believe this is the last year of his contract. I don't know if Kirk's wanting to get, if they're wanting to extend Kirk, I don't know uh, if he's going to get money elsewhere. I mean, with all due respect to Kirk, he's a weirdo, but dude's got racks. I mean, he has got tons of money, yeah. hundreds of millions of dollars. So uh, kudos to him. Um, but, you know, bi big, I guess, loss for them would, would have been Adam Thielen. I do think there's some uncertainty around Zadarius Smith's future uh, in Minnesota. They brought back Garrett Bradbury, their center, who's kind of been, he was a first round pick, but he's kind of been a, uh, an underwhelming player. They signed Marcus Davenport from new Orleans, one of those cap casualties. Uh, and they brought back Alexander Madison with uncertainty with Dalvin cook going forward. So uh, Blaine, we'll go right back to you here. If you, if you want to talk about Minnesota a little bit. Yeah. It's just one year deals on defense. Marcus Davenport, defensive end, uh, Byron Murphy, cornerback one, one year deal. Like it's just kind of, they knew they were horrible defensively. They got that out. They got a new coordinator. They got, they're trying some new things, plugging some pieces. I just don't think that defense is going to have a magic answer yet. And until that defense can do something, then We'll see. So, like I said, it's just kind of a bunch of plug-and-play names. There's nothing that splashed. They're going to draft a ton on that defensive end, and that's going to decide the fate for the Vikings. Because, like you said, Jefferson, uh, I mean, he's, he's his guy. Cousins is the guy. Cook's the guy. But what are they going to do elsewhere defensively? I don't know yet. They didn't make a ton of ton of splash there for me to really like it. Cousins Obviously is that the guy. This year he's there. I mean, it it that's it is what it is. And so they yeah. and they did get bounced because their defense couldn't stop a nosebleed. I mean, it was Saquon had acres of space in that playoff game against them. And so yeah, if, if I were a Vikings fan, I would have hoped they would have done a little bit more on defense with the like I said, the uncertainty with Zadarius. I I I would not like that. And so they definitely, I think, will have a a, a focus uh, in this draft on the defensive side of the football Chandler over to you for the Detroit lions who have two picks 
uh, in this in this first round of this draft. They'll be picking sixth, which of course is their last first round pick that they are getting from the Rams for the Stafford trade. And then they have their pick 18, 18, of course, being the, I guess, lowest or highest. However you say the, the, the only pick to not make the playoffs, I guess 19 is when the playoffs start. I don't know if I worded that right, but uh, Chandler, they, they're doing some cool things in Detroit. I, I, I almost think that hard knocks was a year too early because th- this, they're adding some guys. I think my favorite one that they added was Chauncey Gardner-Johnson. Like, he feels like what they want their identity to be on defense. He feels like a Dan Campbell guy. And so, keep in mind, they're going to be expecting some big things offensively this year now that Jamison Williams is healthy. Uh, They brought in David Montgomery at running back. Of course, lost Jamal Williams, bring in David Montgomery. Um, And if they can add some more defensive pieces here, I think the Lions can make some noise. And talk about a division that might be there for the taking. With Aaron Rodgers likely exiting this division, I think that's why some of these teams think they now have a chance. Johnny, I'm actually going to completely disagree with you. I think Hard Knocks came at the exact right time for this organization, and they are running with it. Um, I think the buzz created around Hard Knocks and seeing this team and Dan Campbell and say what you will about, you know, the things he does. But it got people going. This Hard Knocks, I feel like, was one of the most talked about in terms of, of reaching audience and Guys are, you can see it. Guys want to go play in Detroit. I think that they are the buzziest team in the NFL um, for sure. Now, I'm not going to sit here and say that I think they're going to be world beaters because it's still the franchise of Detroit. They have to go out and prove it. But with the guys they're bringing in, I think you're exactly right. I think Chauncey Gardner Johnson sounds like Detroit to me. I think that's an awesome name to play for the Detroit Lions. Um, And he is. He's kind of like that trash talker, like, Midwest mentality and I absolutely love that signing for him and golf I think he's got the weapons around him and he's utilizing them I mean it's ridiculous what this guy's done in Detroit putting up numbers like they did last year Jameson Williams had a decent season but wait till he can get a full season under his belt um it's it's the most buzz I think Detroit has had in quite some time going into a season um since those Stafford and Calvin Johnson days in my opinion so Good for Detroit. Hope it works out. I almost said Cameron Sutton's even as big as Gardner Johnson, too. Two, like, that's two massive corners. And they re-signed Thor. I love that way that guy played. Long hair, blonde. What is it? Alex, Alex uh, Anzalone. 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 Yeah, Anzalone. So, yep. Well, then quickly, too, guys. Just They got two picks, right? They need to address defense. Do you think there's any chance that they spend pick six on one of these quarterbacks. They talk a lot about how much they like Jared Goff. And I, I I hear that. Is there part of them that might think that one of these other guys just getting him in the building might be something that looks to the future for them? Like if, you know, is, are the lions a team that might be like, fuck it. We're going to bring in Anthony Richardson. If he falls to six, what do you guys think about that? Chandler, go ahead. I don't think so because I think two things. I think one, I think Goff has a I think he has too many years left under his belt to play at a high level. I really do. And then second, if I'm looking at teams in my division that have tried to do this and have kind of really uh frizzled hairs, if you will, or or frizzled feathers uh with your organization and your quarterback's uh relationship, look no further than your division rival, the Green Bay Packers. You draft Jordan Love when you knew that Rodgers was going to hate that, and it kind of derailed their relationship, and now it's seemingly coming to an end. 
Now, I think it's a little bit of a different situation because Goff doesn't have the pedigree yet that Rodgers does just because of the Super Bowl, in my opinion. But I don't think you do it here. I think it's really premature, and I think you try to get some really more explosive pieces at six, a really potential changing guy on defense or offense, in my opinion. Um, So, no, I don't think you do it there. I think they added O-line. Plain and simple. You get yeah. Panay Sewell on the on the uh, at tackle. If you can get another guy at offensive line, that offense they return their offensive coordinator who had head head coaching jobs. He would he would have maybe got one. Mm-hmm. And with Goff still staying there, they're keeping those two together. They're nothing better for them to get an offensive line. And I think six and eighteen is a cool combo to really pair up well in the first round. That's two, well said. Yeah, that's two pieces right there that can play right away, in my opinion. Like you need to really hit those. You can honestly, you can mess up the rest of the draft. I don't think it matters if you can really nail six and eighteen. I think it's a good combo for a team that's trying to build around a core they already have. Oh, and they have Jameson Williams too, in case we forgot. Jeez. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, depending on your draft board, a lot of people say like players with first round grades, 15 to 18 players every draft. So they might, depending on their board, yeah, they might be getting two players they believe are first round graded players. And that's a big difference from being drafted in the first round and being a first round graded player. So um, a lot of promise there. Okay, over to the Packers. A lot of uncertainty here. Um, it Let's, guys, let's just operate like Rodgers is not going to be their quarterback. He's, all signs point that he's going to be on the New York Jets. It hasn't officially happened yet. Um, I think they're just working out compensation. It, 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 let's just operate like that Jordan Love is the quarterback of the Green Bay Packers. And for our listeners out there who uh, obviously Coach Andy Reid is one of them. Andy Reid was uh, in an interview yesterday and or it could have been this morning, but uh, he didn't know who Jordan Love was. Uh, Andy Reid, Jordan Love is the quarterback right now for um, the Green Bay Packers. He might stink. He might not. He's been a backup for three years, and they're done with Rodgers. They want to see what Jordan Love can do. And as far as offseason moves, the Packers have not done very much. I mean, they've spent like less than $10 million on three players. And I'll be honest with you guys. I know we all know a lot about the NFL. I don't know these three players that are on their addition list. And so they've lost Aaron Rodgers. They've lost Alan Lazard. It's going to be a different looking Green Bay Packers team, Blaine, and they'll be picking at 15. And so just it's just weird to see the Packers picking this high in the draft and not having Rodgers back there. You got to think that something's going to happen with them. Something. And I don't know how they're going to move up or if they're going to move up above 15 or how they're going to package what they possibly get from from the Jets and how they're waiting to see what the Jets can package and pile up to give them to where they can make some moves. I mean, if there's anywhere, Green Bay's a team that can trade up to one through five and get one of their guys, if it's Bryce Young or something. I'm not ruling that out on the table because Jordan Love hasn't shown me anything to believe that he's a starter in the NFL. And whenever they finally show me something of that nature, I think it's a smart enough organization to where they're not going to let Rodgers just fly away on a on a one-way ticket. But I I have no idea. And like you said, Johnny, there is nothing here for me to see or talk about other than we'll see what they do because they clearly have something going on back in the front office that we don't know. I think they're just as an organization waiting to get Rodgers the hell out the door. Like, they're just yeah. done. And I don't blame them, frankly. Like, Rodgers, you know, sometimes I 
think some of the stuff he does is okay. He's obviously a very talented player, but he's just fucking annoying at this point. I would be so annoyed with him as, as a Packers fan. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm sure that they are, uh, figure it out podcast guest, Jake Berger, when he gets a second uh, away from hitting dingers in spring training, he should join us one time and give us his thoughts. Maybe after, uh, the, the trade does happen, uh, if, if it does. Okay. Chandler over to you for the Chicago bears, horrible season last year, but a lot of promise there. General manager, Ryan Poles has been wheeling and dealing lots of players coming in a lot of money to spend. Um, and they will be picking ninth in this in this uh draft originally first but traded of course with carolina uh just some of the names they brought in of course dj moore they brought in linebacker tremaine edmonds from buffalo paid him a lot of money four years 72 million guard nate davis came in that that's where i think that that the bears need to invest the most they've obviously identified that fields is going to be their guy protect him protect him i mean you've brought in some pieces you now have a reliable number one receiver that when he is in trouble that's what these guys do when they get blitzed, when they get in trouble, when Mahomes gets blitzed or doesn't know what to do, what does he do? Well, where's Travis? I'm just going to sling it over to him. These guys throw the ball when Kirk gets pressured. What does he do? Kirk, well, if he doesn't throw it to the other team, he throws it to Justin Jefferson. Hmm. Like now he's got this guy, DJ Moore, that can be his safety outlet. And it's just a badass player. Protect Justin Fields. Uh, Chandler, a lot of picks here for the bears they've spent some money they brought in former missouri state bear teammate of yours right dylan cole to be on their team so yeah a different looking bears team with a lot of promise coming up i think yeah i think they're the detroit lions of last season coming into this season i think that they are a team that can really rattle off some games just based on that they're going to get some really awesome draft picks i think i think that polls uh, nailed the offseason. I think you knew that he was going to do the right thing. I think that it would be crazy not to not to uh, trade the number one pick. So I like that they're moving back. Get a, get a piece that's going to be kind of one of those um, sides of the ball changing type of guys. Um, and you can get those at those kind of picks. So good for the Bears. I think that they're going to have a lot of buzz coming into this season. Like I said, I think that they um, – they're a team that can weirdly make a push to the NFC North. I think. I think I I like Justin Fields. I really like what they can do, and I I think that DJ Moore has been forgotten about kind of in my mind because that's a good combo. If they can get on the same page. Um, I just don't know if they can make it to the playoffs this year. They're kind of like Detroit. I think they're a carbon copy of Detroit potentially, where they could be on the verge, but they just don't get there this year. I think they're a year away from really being able to make some noise and. Hopefully I'm wrong for Burner's sake and all of our Chicago Bears fans, but I think you're just a year early, just a year. And this is this is me talking in March. So there's time to improve, Bears. It really is. Two divisions down, a lot more to go. So let's keep this thing moving over to the NFC West division winner. Last year, the San Francisco 49ers, they do not have a first rounder. They spent some money this offseason, Blaine, and they have some question at quarterback too. Purdy, Trey Lance, somebody else. What do you think? I don't know. I mean, it, do you do you go and get Darnold if you don't think that there's a possibility that there's not going to be a quarterback there that that has been there with Lance or Purdy? I mean, that quarterback room is the biggest question in all of the NFL, and if they don't get it right, then they're not going to be able to move uh, as effectively as they should. Now, on the defensive side, there's been a ton of movement, a ton of movement, but the one thing that San Francisco always does well, they get their D-linemen. Hargrave, four-year, $84 million. They had to do that. They did that. And that gives me belief for them. I mean, 
do I think that they are there are some holes in their secondary now? Yes. Do I think they're going to be fine? Yes. They still have a very, very powerful offense. Is Ayuk going anywhere? I would I would move towards no, but um they're they're still gonna be pretty good. And they did what they had to do with Hargrave. Great move by them. With the NFC so uncertain, I I think with Shanahan, you could put any of those three guys there, Darnold, Lance, and uh and Purdy, and they're really they're gonna be in the conversation in the be NFC. Okay. Yeah, right. They're going to be okay. Um, Chandler, over to you. Seattle Seahawks. Biggest move from them, of course, has been bringing back Geno. Three years, $75 million, and they have added a couple other players uh, throughout there. They brought back Drew Locke. <clears throat> he stinks. But Geno Smith's going to be their guy. But I also would leave the door open that they might add uh, uh, somebody at the quarterback position. Seattle has two picks uh, in, this dra- in this draft's first round. They have number five, and then they have number 25, of course, comes from Denver in the Russell Wilson trade. Denver stinks. Uh, Chandler, what are your thoughts here with Seattle? Is quarterback on the table? Um, I can't believe that they paid Geno Smith. I absolutely cannot believe it. Um, I understand how awesome of a season he was. We were big Geno fans on here because he was just kind of that gunslinger guy, but he's his career has never been worthy of that contract, in my opinion. Um, I think that they could be decent this year, but I still don't think that they're better than the 49ers, even with the 49ers uncertainty, because I think the Niners defense is disgusting. Um, it just doesn't move the needle for me at all. I don't, I don't really care about Seattle. That's my thing. Like Seattle kind of did me dirty ish on the pod back and forth. We kind of have that love hate relationship. I think you had them with a little bit of that too, Johnny. Um, they're kind of going to be the same way this year. I think, I think, Gino's thing is that when he's on, he's really on and he does it better. He does it better at being bad and good game to game than anybody in the league. I think it's crazy. Um, So it's just that uncertainty for me. I, I don't love Seattle this year at all. It's just weird. Like his eighth or ninth year in the league, he finally figures it out for one season kind of, and then they pay him a bunch of money right there. I, I'm not sure. I, I tend to think they're going to go uh quarterback in the draft. Uh, coming up here in a month. Blaine, over to you for the Rams. This team is in cap hell. They need draft picks. It's just weird. I mean, thankfully for them, um, they they just, you know, won a Super Bowl. If they didn't win that, they would have been absolutely, you know, even more screwed. Right. It's good that they have that one Super Bowl, but not many names they brought in. Jalen Ramsey leaves. Kind of feel like maybe Stafford might be back, but a lot, they might be fucked. They're, I mean, they're fire sale right now. It's, it's, it's a, complete risk it all for a Super Bowl, as you said. Now you're seeing the the repercussions of that. I mean, Stafford, I, I think he retires, guys, and, and they don't have a whole lot of capital for them to get somebody that they need, somebody that they want. I mean, you trade your best corner, the best corner in the NFL for, what, a second? Was it a second? A third? And Hunter Long, who is probably your second or third best tight end now on this ride? I mean, there's going to be more moves to be made, I think, with this team. Van Jefferson, they have Cooper Cup and Allen Robinson. Is Van Jefferson a guy that can be traded? Is there other guys on this roster that are going to be traded? Just because I, I don't think it's over for the Rams. Fire sale, fire sale, fire sale. It's just so weird. Like, I think it's just uh, it, it's a bad look that their GM Les Snead had, you know, at their parade had the fuck them picks like. Blaine, you talked about this when the Bengals and Chiefs played. Like sometimes, like 
what goes around comes around. Like if you're going to act like an asshole, you're going to act cooler than you are. You're going to get exposed eventually. And so I, I just, you know, yeah, the Rams did win a Super Bowl. Banners fly forever, but gosh, like at what cost? I mean, you are, you're not very good now. So, all right, well, let's 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 move on to the Arizona Cardinals. This is one of those teams that uh, I do I do believe in Chandler. Chandler, you can have this one. I do believe the car the Cardinals are like one of those Falcons teams. Like this is one of those five teams that's like getting left behind. They're kind of irrelevant. Uh, they won like one game at home last year, like one. The Chiefs won more games in in Arizona than the Cardinals did. You know, like what the fuck. And so they've got a new coach. It's Jonathan Gannon. Um, they're picking third in this draft. They have a new GM. They really haven't done that much now that now that I look through some of their players. And so DeAndre Hopkins might not be on this team. This win is Colt McCoy is going to be their starter likely for a, a, a start of games this year because Kyler got hurt in the middle later part of the season. This team is in a terrible spot, and I think that they might be in play for the first overall pick next year. Yeah, Johnny, uh, plain and simple, this team's awful. Um, even if Kyler was healthy to start week one, I think they're awful. Um, that, you know, I hate being that guy, but that video with Jonathan Gannon and Rondell Moore was was horrible to watch when they're meeting for the first time. Um Tough to judge a book by its cover in the situation, but man, he just seems like he's not the guy. Um, Arizona, you know, I they're what are they the third overall pick? I don't even know what they want to do there. Like that's a tough pick when you have a bunch of money invested in Kyler. If they had not paid Kyler, they're probably going quarterback. Um, so it's a really dire, dire situation in Arizona. I don't know who will be worse, Arizona or the Rams. I would think Arizona just off franchise alone um but man basement of the nfl another bird gone falcons basement bird uh cardinals basement and bill's basement three birds nervous ones too that's bad yeah fuck buffalo the the yeah the cardinals are it's it's bad there i would be very concerned if i were a fan this is going to be a terrible season for you guys and easily i think in the league now they if you were to combine combine offensive line and defensive line the trenches for arizona they have the worst trenches they, their trenches are terrible um and so maybe that's why kyler got hurt or because he also stinks uh eagles let's go over to the nfc east and i think i'm going to make an executive decision here we're going to break up the content chandler i know it's your pod but let's break up the content so we'll just finish with the nfc east here that mm -hmm. will be an nfc free agency breakdown and then we'll do an afc one uh, in and of itself more content for the crew i love it johnny philadelphia eagles uh blaine Obviously, a Super Bowl runner-up, uh, you know, very valiant effort by them, but they were beaten by the superior and uh, more handsome team, the Kansas City Chiefs. But they've brought some guys back. They've added some pieces. And the biggest feather in their cap is, like I mentioned earlier, they got two first-round picks. They got number 10 and number 30. What do you think about the Eagles? So, Yeah, they need it. They're getting old defensively. Simple as that. And I think that was a plan of theirs is to get younger defensively going into this year. And they let go of Gardner Johnson. They're, they let go of a linebacker. Um, you know, I, I, I just, I don't foresee them 
not making a splash in this draft because of, you know, Fletcher Cox and and some of those guys that they still have as key pieces. They kept a few to one-year deals that they needed to keep. Slays re-signed on a three and, and, and they'll be fine. They're going to be good, but what are they going to, what, what young pieces are they going to add defensively? And that's where I think they're going to add. Yeah. I just think, you know, a lot of people say when you're a team, like one of these big teams, like it, the NFL is designed for, you not to be able to stay at the top for very long. And people said, well, having a quarterback on a rookie deal, that helps you. Having two first-round picks like we saw with the Chiefs last year is big, Chandler. For the Eagles, too, I think it's huge that um, I know their offensive line's kind of getting up there in age, but most of them will be back. I think another year with Hurts being able to get a relationship with A.J. Brown. I mean, they're in a decent spot for having lost. I, I agree. They lost a lot of pieces, but for having lost a lot of pieces, they are still in a decent spot. I mean, I feel like they're kind of the NFC Chiefs right now in terms of teams that are going to be relevant the whole time. Chandler, we'll stick with you. Dallas Cowboys bring back Tony Pollard on the franchise tag, but there looks to be some uncertainty. I think they actually have officially released Ezekiel Elliott now that I remember. They bring in Stephon Gilmore. They bring back Leighton Vander Esch. Um, they bring in Brandon Cooks. I mean, they're trying to do some things um, in this wide-open NFC. Um, but to me... with you know, they're picking at 26th. I just believe that this team is always going to be limited in their ceiling by quarterback Dak Prescott. What, what, what do you think? Yeah, I tend to kind of agree. And I've actually been a Dak defender. I've tried to be, but he just simply flat out continues to do the same damn things. They could have easily beaten San Francisco. He played terribly in that game. Um, another playoff performance that was just not good. Like it'd be one thing, if he had that debacle in Dallas, the spike or whatever the hell happened, and then he comes back the next year, and even if he lost to the Niners in like a shootout, like a good game, like he did everything he could, I think he gets a little bit more credit. But the fact that he played like shit, um, Dallas is is handicapped by him. He has to do it. They continue to get pieces around him. And I normally would love the Ezekiel Elliott, just get rid of him. I think he is kind of a cancer, and I've actually been a Zeke fan. I like watching him run the football, but he's just kind of a prima donna for playing such a tough-nosed position. Um, But Tony Pollard off of a broken leg, I think that's something that Cowboys are not considering in in getting rid of Zeke. You have to have a bell cow and a guy that Zeke has proven time and time again he can get that short yard. So – it's tough. I think it's an interesting situation. And for a quarterback like Dak, who has to have a running game to get going, I think you're putting a lot up in the air right there. And that's an important position that you don't really think about anymore in the NFL until you realize that you need a running game. So it, they're the Cowboys. They're going to be around. It's going to be Dallas. But yeah, can't wait to watch Dallas six times on primetime this year. It should be great. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just not a big fan of Dallas until Jerry just gets his hands completely off of the football operations of that organization. I just think they're going to be in the same hamster wheel cycle that they're in. Um, And it's just uh, an underwhelming end to their season every year. Couldn't happen to a better fan base. You know, at least they have Cowboys fans, you know, they have a lot going for them because when their football season ends, they can look forward to New York Yankees baseball. They can look forward to Duke basketball, um, you know, that that's that's what these people do. They are maybe some fans. Kansas fans, Johnny. Maybe there could, some Kansas oh, there, fans. There could be, and us Kansas diehards can can identify them from a long way away. Yeah. Um 
Okay, let's do two more teams, guys. Let's finish out this division. So one more team for each of you. New York Giants over to Blaine. They've got the right head coach. It's Brian Dable. They uh, won a playoff game. I don't know if that's worth $160 million for Daniel Jones. He threw 15 touchdown passes last year. You could say, oh, he didn't have that many great receiving options. Well, 15, and this is a guy who runs the football a lot. I mean, seems a little risky there. What say you, Blaine? Yeah, you're putting your franchise in line. But they believe in something. And I believe in their head coach. I believe in Saquon Barkley. Now, do I believe in Daniel Jones? I, you know, I, I need one more year to see. They added a lot of speed and continued to re-sign speed. Sterling Shepard coming back, got Darius Slayton, went and got Darren Waller, which if he stays healthy, then, I mean, that guy is, is one of the best tight ends in football. You get Paris Campbell. So they're adding guys for Daniel Jones to be better. Daniel Jones hasn't thrown to a ton over the years. Now, how's that going to gonna look? I, <laughs> you're you're telling me you if you know please tell me but uh, i think it's looking brighter for new york i mean it it's okay to stick with your guy with daniel jones and uh, i don't think that they should have went elsewhere um uh, with with all that they already have offensively and the success that they had last year now an underrated signing um really in the entire nfl linebacker bobby okereke four year 40 million he was i think top 10 in the nfl in tackles last year as he was filling a slot there um, with the injury in, in Indianapolis. So if that guy can produce a linebacker, they're going to be a lot better. And I, I like the Giants to be pretty good in the NFC this year. Daniel Jones played poker better than the Giants played. They He called their bluff by going out yeah. and absolutely balling. And he got them to the playoffs, and he won a playoff game. And I'm sorry, but at the end of the day – I know it's a business, but there also comes the human element in that business. I don't care what they say about how they try to remove from the game. The Giants had no option but to sign Daniel Jones. That team for that season and that franchise believed in Daniel Jones, and they could not waver on that belief. Um, With no grounds warranted, really, what else do you want from that guy with the weapons that he did have? Going to Minnesota and flat-out dominating the Minnesota Vikings, and that's just not me blowing smoke. That was a domination. Now, I know Saquon had a big game, but Jones was running all over Minnesota. Um, If they did not re-sign him, that would have been the Giants moving backwards five years, in my opinion. And And so they they had to do it. And if they didn't have Brian Dable, I'd be saying this is an idiotic move. But if there's one head coach that can handle Daniel Jones and make him as as possibly good as he could be, it, it is Brian Dable. And the thing is, too, we talk about like, you know, Josh Allen needs to limit his running a little bit. Don't want to take the hits. Daniel Jones, you're there for four more years. We're going to run the shit out of you. Okay. You're not getting like a free pass. You're going to earn your 160 million and they will do that in my opinion. So hats off to the giants. I think they're in a great spot. I really do. I'm definitely not as high as Daniel Jones uh, on Daniel Jones as you guys. I, I, I will talk about this more as we go along um, and see how this kind of develops. I think, I mean, I think this is a huge year for him then. I mean, for their franchise, to put that kind of monetary value on him, that kind of trust, that four years, I mean, this is a huge year 
uh, for Daniel Jones. And if I already said this, forgive me, but the Giants are picking 25th. Uh, in this draft. So final team for tonight. I know we, 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 we called an audible here, but full disclosure, I know we keep it professional on this podcast and we, we like to do that, but I mean, it's, it's, it's getting kind of late and you know, yeah. we, we, we got some stuff to do. So one more team here, Chandler, um, the Washington commanders, they've been spending some money. They brought back Deron Payne, who is a hell of a player Four years, 90 million for, for him. They bring Eric Bieniemy from the Kansas City Chiefs over to run the show on offense. Ron Rivera is a defensive-minded head coach, kind of keeps himself away from the offensive side. This is side of the ball. This is a chance for uh Bien-Ami to have full control over the offense to remove Andy Reid from uh from, from the fold and just to see uh what 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 he can do with with total control. Uh, while doing that, he brings over a piece of the Kansas City Chiefs with him. Andrew Wiley comes over to be a tackle for them. Uh, good for Andrew Wiley, former undrafted player, practice squad, uh journeyman gets 24 million dollars. Um pretty cool for him. And then they also bring over Marcus Kemp from the Chiefs who did some good things for this football team. Caught a first down from Mahomes in the AFC championship game, by the way. So uh, a lot of stuff there from Washington. Uh, what are your thoughts here, Chandler? Washington is picking 16th. Washington, if they stay so relevant due to their ineptness with their owner, that is why I think there's so much about the commanders always being talked about. Um, and so I think that that hurts them tremendously because they can't seem to get out of their own way. It's a trickle-down effect, and quite frankly, I think that it's just going to be another lackluster year in Washington. I think they're just a lackluster franchise because they do the things that losing franchises do with the resources of winning teams. I mean, the Red – or, the, excuse me, the Commanders almost got canceled there. The Commanders' owner, Dan Steiner, is like one of the richest owners in the NFL. Like, it, it doesn't make any sense why they can't have a good product, and it's because he's just crazy. Um, we'll see what the enemy can do. I, I fail to be able to see it, um, due to the fact that he just left the greatest quarterback to ever play the game of football. Like his expectations are so high now. It's, it's going to be, it's, it's going to be very tough to live up to those expectations in my opinion, no matter how they do. I think their offensive roster is really good. I love their weapons. If their weapons were on the chiefs, I don't think the chiefs would lose another Super Bowl. I mean, I would take McLaurin and Jahan Dotson every day of the week. So it's all about getting that offense going. And then this defense, the Blaine and I talk about it all the time. This is why we're all so high on them in our pre, in our preseason pod about the NFC East. I mean, this defense should be damn good. It doesn't make any damn sense. And now maybe Ron Rivera can get over on the defensive side of the ball and just be a little bit more focused on that. Um, that would be best case scenario. But this franchise doesn't have a lot of best case scenario. It's a lot about crisis management squad. <laughs> So it, it's all it's, it's in the commander's hands, in my opinion. And this division outside of the Eagles, it's going to get two teams in every year. So the, the second spot in this division is wildly up for grabs. Commanders can definitely do it. There could be a light at the end of the tunnel um, for commanders fans. I've seen Schefter tweeting a lot about this. And basically, what to summarize, there's there are two separate groups that have fully funded deals uh, for the asking price of Dan Snyder for the commanders, which is $6 billion. So there are two separate groups with $6 billion ready to sign the contract uh, to own the commanders. And according to Schefter, uh, there is a growing belief a purchase agreement could be in place 
by the NFL draft. So that light at the end of the tunnel could be getting closer for Washington, Blaine. The Canadian commanders. It's a very real possibility. One of the one of the buyers is Canadian yeah. and could be taking it up north, which, you know, that, that FedEx field, right? It, it, it's it's had its days. So that, I, just watch that. It could be kind of fun. I don't know if the NFL is pushing for that, but we'll see. It would yeah, be interesting because NBA is in Canada. Like, if you moved it to Toronto, there'd be a ton. Like, the Raptors are there. The freaking uh, Maple Leafs are there. It, that's not a bad call, Blaine. Um, Johnny, one final thought? No, bro. Close us out. That was awesome. We'll come back for the AFC soon. Yeah. NFC pod. Uh, the boys are – the boys, you know, I just felt like it was a good time. It's actually right at two hours. Um, so great time to cut it off. We'll be back for the AFC next week. Get you closer, even closer to the draft. Um, next week with the AFC and the AFC, honestly, we'll probably have to spend a little bit more time per team. A lot of teams in the path of the Kansas City Chiefs. We'll get it all to you. Awesome pod tonight. Appreciate you guys jumping on college basketball with us. That was a lot of fun. We'll have to make that a little episode for the Figure It Out pod going forward. Every year we'll do that. So appreciate it. Have a great night, boys. Appreciate it again. <laughs> See ya. Peace.